Then again, then again. Well, Anthony has just uh, reassured me there by saying I've got f- uh, 45 minutes, or was it, was it more than that, Anthony? That's, that's wonderful. But that's all I've got. I've got something on the other side as well. Um, so, move that over there. That's it, really. It's a bit of a provocative um, title. Loving ambition. And I hope that at the end of our time together, you will be able to say of yourself, I have a loving ambition. And I know what my loving ambition is. So uh, let's have a little uh, dig into uh, where that title's coming from. I've got seven slides. They're all very simple. If I was going to speak to you about Therma, not Thelma, but Therma, uh, you, you might think, as usual, he's lost the plot again. Um, but I am. I'm going to speak about Therma. And you might think to yourself, Therma, what is he talking about? Well, Therma, uh, it was a part of the Macedonian shoreline um, by the Thermaic Gulf. So this is very sophisticated, isn't it? So in Roman, ter- uh, Roman times, there was a place called Therma, and there was a chap called Cassander, not Cassandra. If you want a cream tea, they do a great one at Cassandra. We had one last week, but it wasn't Cassandra, it's Cassander. And uh, he was the son of Antipater. He rebuilt and enlarged Therma before naming it after his wife, whose name was Thessalonica. Ah, now you didn't, did anyone know that? Did I, did I fish out a little nugget of, of interest about Thessalonians that no one knew? Yes! I didn't know it either, actually. Um, so, and she, Thessalonica, this is something else you won't know, she was the sister of Alexander the Great. There, little, little nuggets. Uh, now, if I was going to think of a similar city, just to help us contextualize this, a similar city to uh, Thessalonica in this country, I'm going to say Liverpool. Why am I going to say Liverpool? Right, so yes, thank you. We can have the next uh, bit of that there, please. Ah, now there's a bit of a clue. Well, Liverpool uh, is much more recent than Therma. It became uh, a borough only in 1207. So it's quite, quite a recent event. Uh, th- uh, Liverpool, I don't know, is anyone from Liverpool before I go on too far with this? No one's from Liverpool. Right, okay, well, that's all right. Um, Liverpool's a bit colder than northern Greece. Um, why does it remind me a little bit of uh, Thessalonica? Well, Thessalonica was founded in 300 BC, so it's quite a time gap between the two of them. Um, but... Uh, Liverpool has a football club, and Therma, or Thessalonica, has a football club. I'm not into football, but I just thought, again, a little nugget for you there would be interesting. P-A-O-K-F-C. This is their crest coming up now, please. Thank you. They uh, were uh, formed in 1926, and they won... You can tell I'm trying to impress you with my football knowledge here. They won the Greek Super League... Uh, cup five times. So this is all very useful, isn't it? 
It's all relevant, stirring. It's beginning to get you emotional, isn't it? I hope so. I hope it's just touching those inner bits of you. Uh, There's more. In 2008, um, Liverpool was voted as the European City of Culture. Um, You see, the Lord gave me this to share with you. And uh, Thessalonica uh, was also the hub uh, of commerce and culture. Liverpool's the hub in its area. Well, Thessalonica was the hub of commerce and culture, and it was also based around a port. Cosmopolitan. Liverpool's pretty cosmopolitan as well. People moving through, in and out for trade. It's a trade route. So is Liverpool. Um, and uh, what can we say about Thessalonica? Well, it's, it was similar to Corinth uh, for its social structure, but for its pagan rites. It wasn't a terribly nice place, actually. Um, and it had a religious vacuum. And there was a theologian, John Frame, who called Thessalonica important, populous, and wicked. Oh, I think that might have been another... Oh, yes, there we are. So that's modern-day Thessalonica, actually. So it doesn't look like it would have been in those days. But important, populous, and wicked, that's a pretty good description, really, of most of the cities in our country, possibly of Fort Worth and... Acton. What was the other place? Austin. Austin. Yeah, I, I remember Fort Worth, but not Austin, so we'd be a pair there. Um, and yet, this place, way back when, is where God called Paul to go and preach the gospel. A bit like Andrew and his crew in Austin and Fort Worth. And in AD 51... Long time ago, but this is all about church planting then and now. He planted the church of Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. Now, when Paul preached the gospel, there was a reaction. And there should be a reaction. And it's concerning when the gospel is preached and there is no reaction. The gospel, the cross, Christ causes a reaction. If anyone is listening seriously, it is to cause a reaction. Some will stir up against, this is what Paul experienced, and some will stir towards and be stirred in the inner being and receive the gospel with great joy. And that's what we've been celebrating as we've had communion, that we have been stirred ourselves. I don't know if Paul did it deliberately really or not. Um, is it, have you been stirring this one, Andrew? Is it for me? Is it, is it for me? Thank you. I didn't want to kind of steal your drink. Because um, he, he did things that he knew was going to upset people. So he went and preached at the synagogue. It was a normal kind of thing he did. Um, and some of the things he was saying led to a sharp disagreement. Um, it, it stirred up things. It confronted the Jews You see, the Jews were concerned, they were angry that Paul was claiming that actually um, God-fearers, as they were known as then, could belong to God without being a Jew and without becoming a Jew. They didn't like that. It's a bit of a power play, really. No, you've got to do it our way, you've got to do it the traditional way, you've got to do things through us. And actually, it caused such a sharp disagreement that a riot broke out. We don't really have that. I can't remember the last time we had a riot 
uh, in this church. Can any? I, well, well, yes. I can't really. <laughs> not as such. Uh, not as such. But uh, uh, I, don't let me get distracted. So a riot broke. <laughs> A riot broke out. And so, what's he do? He did something sensible. He cleared off, didn't he? He went to Berea, where he found people who loved the word of God. And uh, the Bereans were known for that. But he's had a great report. You know, he, he might have wanted to spend a bit longer in Thessalonica, but he's had a good report back. Although he might have liked to have been there maybe another couple of months or whatever on his ministry time there. Um, he's had a great report that's come back. Um, from Timothy and Silas about this fledgling church. Um, maybe like uh, Andrew has had a good report of these uh, millennials. Uh, that's great. So he's, he's encouraged, he writes to encourage them, but he also is going to address an emerging issue. And Andrew, as you go, there may be some emerging issues that God's going to call you to address with those two churches. So I think maybe something, I think God's going to show you something um, that you will need to address. That, I, that just came then. So. Um, so let's pick up the story. Enough chit-chat. So 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, reading at verse 9. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers. You do love each other throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So uh, here's a change. I've just got uh, two points. Not three points, two points. But they're very long. There's lots of subdivisions. I can see some worried faces around. Um, The first one, then, is... Love, so a slide there, please, uh, for love. Not love, but love. Um, Now, Christine covered this particularly in uh, her session when she was looking at how to live a life worthy of God in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, etc. Reminding us of the two great commands, which were to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, body, and all of that, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um. That actually is very important. It's very much central to the life of a child of God. And that's living a life pleasing to God. It's a way of life that Jonathan was talking about, um, that um, it underlines um, our love for God rather than undermines, I got that, you see, rather than undermines um, our Christian witness, our Christian faith. You see, it's possible for your life to be undermining your witness to Christ rather than winning the respect of everybody. Our lives should be worthy of respect and win respect for the life of a 
child of God, shaped by the gospel, shaped by grace, shaped by the Holy Spirit. Um, so a little question there then. Um, two things. Is your life, a bit of personal reflection time here, is your life one of love that demonstrates the activity of the Holy Spirit in you? Personal reflection to continue through the week um, and mull over. The fruit of love is part of the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. God is love. He's looking for that fruit in our lives. Is your life a life of love? You might say, what is a life of love? Well, hopefully the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you and will continue to reveal that to you as you press on. Just note here that Paul is commending them. Uh, He says to them, um, basically, well done. It's, it's great to hear that you love each other. Um, so he's commending them for what they're commanded. We're commanded to love, aren't we? But it should be such a part of our DNA. It should be just natural. It should be the overflow of uh, the heart of a child of God. So if you're in doubt about that, have a dig in to 1 Corinthians 13. Linger in it, mull over it, and just ask God to stir his love in your heart. It's not love. It's the love of God. And it's very obvious. When you see the love of God, it's beautiful. It often comes with hands that have been serving, feet that have been going somewhere, um, sacrificial things that have been done. The love of God is beautiful. So let's uh, pray that God will stir up that love in us, that we might be conscious of that. Um, Do you show that love? Do you spend time talking to people that maybe you might not necessarily choose to? Do you give them time? Um, Chatting in church before, after, all that sort of thing, serving. These are all aspects of someone who's in love with God. Um, Here's a little thing. Those who feel unloved can often be the most unloving. So maybe it's good, actually, if you're kind of not feeling terribly loving to others, maybe ask God for a fresh revelation of his love to you. The unloving can be those who feel unloved. And perhaps the converse is true. Those who are most loving probably have the keenest awareness of love in their lives. It might be love from parents. It might be love in a marriage. It might be love from all sorts of contexts, friends and so on. But the love of God has so shaped them, they can't help but love people they work with, people they interface with, people they share their lives with. Love for God is love. Perhaps, it's probably true for all of us, I I suspect, We need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to love. We soon run out of our own love because people can be very annoying, can't they? Um, And we need that love of God to love them as he loves them. Perhaps you need a fresh revelation of God's love for you. Communion is a great way to have the revelation of God in his love for us. 
I hope maybe as you took your communion with others, that you had a revelation of the love of God. You need that every day. I need it every day. I can't rely on yesterday's revelation. I thank God for all that's revealed in his word. But I, I need revelation day by day of who God is, how he feels about me, that I can then love others, that I can go through the tough situations that I or you may be going through now or in the future. So Paul's commended the Thessalonians uh, for loving each other, and he calls them to do so more and more. And how can you do that? Well, there's a lovely verse in Psalm 87. Psalm 87? Psalm 87, verse 7. It says this at the end of a beautiful psalm. It says, all my fountains, if we can have that, thank you. All my fountains are in you. And if your fountains are in him, you will just overflow it. If you don't stay in that place of fountain, if you don't put yourself day by day in God's word and ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit, that glass would become empty. And eventually it would evaporate away or you might drink it and there's nothing left. And it's true for each of you and me. We need to put our place, all my fountains are in you. And if your fountains are in him, you would just do what that cup's doing, that glass is doing. You will overflow. In the situations of difficulty where you need grace, your grace won't run out, your love won't run out, because the Holy Spirit continues to fill you that you might overflow. Um, A brief note. This is maybe a naughty third point sneaking in. It wasn't intended. But someone reminded me, some brothers of mine over there reminded me, that today is a special day. Um, it's the 12th anniversary, um, I'd forgotten, so well done those of you who've remembered, um, of us walking across from uh, Church Street, um, those of us who were walking there, into this building, 12 years ago. 12 is a great number, isn't it? You can see it in Scripture quite often. It can symbolize various things like completion, fulfillment, celebration, jubilee, those sort of things. Twelve is there. And so it's quite a good little moment to insert here and just say, 12 years on, is this place loving? Are we loving to one another? Are we loving one another more and more? Are we known for that? I hope we are. We might be known for some other things. And that would be sorrowful because I would want us to be known like this church was for loving one another. And yet Paul says, even though they were known for that, he said, I urge you to do that more and more. Urge is such a strong word, isn't it? It's not like a gentle persuasion. It's urge. Have you ever been urged? We felt an urge at times, no doubt. But have you ever been urged by someone? Because if someone comes to you and urges you, it, there can be, there's an urgency to it, isn't there? And it can be a little bit, all right. But there's an urging. And I urge you today to love one another more. That it may be obvious in your life that you are loving because God's love and grace is upon you. I urge you that. There's a beseeching, there's an imploring. I urge you. Paul urged that 
and I urge you that as well. Personally, and as a church, how are we doing? Make it your loving ambition. Let's go on to ambition in the last little bit of time that we've got. This is my second proper point. Moving on from my naughty insertion. So my second point is take aim. And, uh, yeah, take aim. I'm being very provocative today, aren't I? I do apologise for it in some ways, but maybe I don't. You like it? All right. Well, it's it's run through me, first of all, so, uh, you know, I'm I'm having a go uh, at sharing that with you. Um, What is your aim? Do you have an aim? Have you ever thought about that? Seriously. What is my aim? What is my purpose, if you like? What's my goal? What, what do I want to do with my life? However long I've got. What, what am I setting out to achieve? Because you know the old thing, isn't it? No, no aim, then you'll never hit it anyway. Something like that. Something cleverer than that, but I didn't quite get it right. But something like that. If you have no aim, you'll never hit it. Is it? Something like that. Um, difficult question again okay I've asked you one difficult question this question is this would your private ambitions your private inner aims win respect would you mind sharing what those private aims and ambitions are uh, here now would you like them to go up on the screen What are your public goals? Do you have public goals? Are you known for certain things? And I know various people are known for various things. Well, what are your goals? Why did Paul address them? He just said, well done for loving each other. And then he he goes on, uh, having urged them somewhat, he then says, well, let's talk about aims. Let's talk about goals. Um, Why did Paul address this? Well, he's urging them to continue their daily occupations because he's addressing something that's cropped up. You see, this church here that's got so many strengths, it's a very loving church, some of the people in the church have quit working to wait for the Lord's return. They've stopped earning their bread. They were becoming a needless burden on the church. It was a a burden the church was having to to meet. And in fact, it had brought the church into disrepute. They're a load of lazy what's-its. Oh, yes, they love, but they're somewhat lazy. Um, And in doing that, this group that wasn't working, they were demonstrating actually not great love, but a lack of love. Um, So I'll... Touch that again briefly in a minute or two, just as we kind of pull this together. I'm going to just do something which might surprise uh, the leadership here, um, which is this. I'm going to contrast paid church workers and volunteers. I've been both. Um, And I know that church workers can feel guilty pressurized and stressed. They've a lot to prove. They've got to prove that they're value for money. And I know that the role of a church worker has certain pressures and tensions which are different 
to those who are volunteers. And volunteers, because I've been a volunteer too, can feel superior. A little judgmental. I didn't find Andrew in his office when I went there at two minutes to five. Where was he? Where were you, actually? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you either of those? Are you someone who um, uh, can either be uh, a church worker? I think we've only got one here at the moment because Dave's away with the men. Um, Mark? Oh, is he? Oh, wow. Uh, All the best to him. Um, Do you feel superior, judgmental sometimes? Maybe we have been those. Um, But what about those of us who work in secular jobs? Um, Are we in some way second-class, less recognised, less visible, less obvious? Um, Are we as important um, if we are in a secular job? Do you know what? God sees it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It doesn't matter where the money comes from. He owns it all. What he's interested in is your life, your aims, your love, your decisions, how you live. Is it an overflow of love or not? And um, Mick Taylor, I didn't know you were going with Mick, but uh, please give him my love and greetings. Um, he, at West Point, uh, the thing that got me most at West Point was something uh, that Mick Taylor did. Um, but he was, I'm going to give you now a theology, because you like the theology of suffering. I'm going to give you a theology of the everyday, a theology of the routine, a theology of your life in your workplace. And um, it's from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, don't bother looking, but therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Now, here's the theology of your life, the routine, the work. Uh, the everyday. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So as we just finish this then, a question, are you living with a healthy sense of the Lord's return? Because it's good to have a healthy sense of the Lord's return, otherwise there's no point, is there? We should have a healthy sense of the Lord's return. Are you living fully giving your life fully to the work of the Lord in whatever you do? Are you occupying usefully until, as they used to say in the old, old uh, days, was until he comes or calls? Because one of those will happen and we will stand before him. There are two dangers. We should be sharing our, our, our life, our faith as part of everyday life. Two dangers. One is being unaware and oblivious that he could come today. Do you know that? He could come today. And that's one danger, being so caught up with today that you're unaware and oblivious. It could be today. It could be. And so because you're not aware that he's coming, you're not living that life of love. You're not really bothered about the productivity side of things. That's one danger. The second danger is that you're aware he's coming And so you become so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use, as they used to say. Two dangers. Unawareness or so caught up, as some of these were, that actually um, their heads was in the clouds, just drifting through life. So loving ambition, as we finish then, your loving ambition 
Is it an ambition to love? Or are you loving the wrong sort of ambitions? So have a little look at your goals, your priorities, about your love life. Have a little look with God. Your life's called to be a balanced one. It's easy to get things out of balance. It's easy to become a workaholic. Stressing, rushing, pressurizing yourself just because you're doing it to please others or you think that it's going to please God or impress someone. Get your work-life balance right. Um, The balanced Christian life, word and spirit, faith and action. Life to the full, not life to the empty, to the meaningless, to the Solomon's cry, all is meaningless, life to the full and overflowing. So I'm going to stop there. I could have gone on lots longer, but I'll I'll stop there. And um, there's two two things I'd I'd like to um, ask uh, if you want from God. There's one set of people I wonder here on this 12th anniversary here, maybe you need to be filled afresh with God's love that you can love afresh in the power of his love. Because love's just a bit hard. Loving others, just keen to be away, just go and do my own thing. Because loving is hard. And maybe you need a fresh revelation of God's love for you. And the other uh, group of people, is that you need power for everyday life. To live that theology of the everyday, of the routine, without being ground down, getting a probably maybe even a proper correcting of of a work-life balance in your life. You need to get it just maybe fine-tuned and corrected. Can we just stand, if that's all right, and just uh, pray, and then I'll hand back to Andrew and Pam. If there's anyone here who's lost respect, lost respect from others to them, you can win it back. God wants you to have respect, not for your sake, but for his sake. God wants you to love as you have been loved. So however you just want to uh, line up with this, hands out or whatever, or just hearts open, but I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray that everyone in this room today would know your love. I pray that you would come afresh, Lord, and pour out your love into our hearts, that we might overflow with love for you, Lord. And whatever situation we're in, Lord, that we might know you love us that our feet are standing on a firm foundation, a foundation of your love. Holy Spirit, I pray that you pour love into our hearts, that we might love you, and that we might overflow in love for one another, that we can't do it in our own strength. And Lord, I also pray the other thing, that you would touch our aims and our goals and our priorities, and our balance in life, 
Lord, that it would be your balance, your goals, your priorities. Lord, that we would live this life loving you, sharing that love, Lord. We're here to give you our love and to be loved by you, Lord, to enjoy life and to bring joy to you. Father God, we want to enjoy our lives with you. And I pray for every single person here today, Lord, whatever they're facing, that they would know not only that you love them, but Lord, that you are for them, you're not against them. I pray that they would live out their loves in their lives, in their workplaces, in your grace. Lord Jesus, we're to to live for your praise and glory. That's what we want to do. So we ask that in your precious name. Amen. 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 Amen.